This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They are incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made or like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to try miracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, try miracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. Fake the Nation, episode 287. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we share the good news that it looks like New York City's Omicron surge may have reached its peak, and then it's all downhill from here. I'm your host, Nikita Farsad. Um, and I want everyone to remember that just like fashion trends, COVID surges start in New York, and then they fan out across the country. So where we are, you will be soon, too. Uh, soon enough, you'll be wearing fashionable balaclavas alongside your virus du jour. Uh, today, we'll catch up on uh, the Theranos verdict. We'll also talk about the incredible roster of celebrities running for office. And we'll dig into a grab bag of stuff like home tests and the Golden Globes and more. But what I'm really excited about right now, oh my god, this panel is incredible. Joining us for the very first time, I'm so, so excited to have her on. Um, She's the host of the You're Wrong About podcast, which is excellent and so fun. It is the one and only Sarah Marshall. Hey, Sarah. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my God. So happy to have you. And joining us for the millionth time, uh, veteran of the show. You know her. You love her. She's a writer. She's a commentator. She's a media consultant, which is fancy. She's also uh, has, has, has uh, taught university level, uh, graduate level courses, which I happen to know because I did a <laughs> guest little chitty chat at one. Um, it is the excellent Sally Cohn. Hey, Sally. Oh my gosh, I love you. And it's it's true, listeners. Nagin did come and speak to my uh, satire class at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism. 
wowed them all, as you might have imagined. That was so fun. They were so like... um, they were they seemed like already really smart you know what i mean yes but not not yet cynical until you left it was great I did casually talk about things that I think some people find a little dark. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was good for them. It was, it was good for them. People oh, yeah, need to know yeah. what they're getting into. Anyway. <laughs> well, folks, um, before we get into it, I just want to remind people uh, ooh, that if you like extra content, you can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Join the Patreon and you'll get bonus um, segments of the show. You'll get a bonus essay. Um, there's mugs. There's t-shirts. It's a lot of um, ridiculousness. Um, our most recent recent episode with Bob the Drag Queen just posted. Um, it's super funny, as you can imagine. Uh, so let's get into it with topic number one. So Elizabeth Theranos had a company that claimed it could figure out a bunch of your medical problems from one drop of blood. She raised a shit ton of money on that promise and from some very prominent people, but it turned out that the whole thing wasn't necessarily true or like it just was not true. Uh, She (laughs) went to trial and was found guilty on four counts of conspiracy and wire fraud. This news broke last week, actually. um, And here's the ridiculous thing. I forgot I wanted to talk about it. So we're talking about it this week. This is how on top of the news I am, guys. Boy, um, my favorite part so far is did you call her Elizabeth Theranos? I mean, that's oh, what I valid, I know. Oh my god, I did. You totes did. <laughs> Holmes. I get oh, it. Sorry. I mean, her identity I made that mistaken so conversation in her startup and also corporations are people. My friend, <laughs> so ipso facto. That's right. right. The law is in my mouth. Is what is happening. <laughs> um, so, um, folks, I uh, I met Elizabeth Holmes. I have literally said Elizabeth Theranos in casual conversation multiple times over the last week, and nobody corrects me, and I keep making the mistake. So I love that you corrected me. That. All right, here we go. Because I also think everyone thinks that's her last name. All right, here's my question for you both. What do, I mean, just on a basic level, what do you think of the verdict? I mean, I think that it's a fun conclusion to an epic story that we've all been following for years at this point. Um, But I also, you know, I always found funny the idea that she had managed to con some of the most brilliant investors, men, whatever, in America, or the way that it was described that way. And... I was always curious about, like, what distinction are we making between brilliant and rich? Because I think we assume that for someone to have made or happened Mm. upon that much money, they have to be really smart and able to handle themselves and know what's a good idea or not. And, you know, it seems like the idea of being like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do all this stuff with a single drop of blood? Okay, everybody, do it. Do it now. Make it work. That that is kind of... As far as I can tell from where I'm sitting, how the culture of innovation in America kind of works now, where it's like, have a big idea, make it sexy, get investments, and then figure out if you can do it. And um, it it seems as if this could be a way to be like, well, that system's still fine. This lady just took it too far. With just, yeah, this one like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the the one of the things that I loved about the 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 whole thing was that so many people put their trust on a medical technology they put their trust in a stanford dropout who had scant medical knowledge right mm-hmm. and so like to i i and i think that when it <laughs> comes to like something like uber or whatever dumb convenience monster app um you know, the 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 idea that you don't need to have like that much, you know, experience or or mm-hmm. real bona fides in that field it works out. It's like not a big, it's, it's, it's OK. But when it comes to stuff like blood tests, I mean, someone in somewhere has to know something very specific. Like, can this be done? <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just no one had that. Not Sally, what did you think of the verdict? I feel like, listen, we're missing the mark here. This is a, you know, win for feminism. I mean, to be honest, for me, up until now, you know, growing up, uh, all the uh, con artists I knew of were men, you know. Mm, True, Um, true, true. um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Dana Carvey in that one movie. 
and all of the Silicon Valley um, bloviators I knew were also men. And so really awesome that suddenly there's a woman entrant. Not lost on me that, of course, she's the one who goes to jail. Um, I'm really, in all seriousness, um, because that was joking. Uh, in all seriousness, <laughs> I am very curious. And I feel like I don't know or understand, like, I want to know, like, like, did she start? I don't think, I, I, I like to think, I don't know, maybe this is like white lady sympathy. I like to think, like, she didn't start it out thinking, like, this is going to be a scam. Oh, yeah, like, I gonna, agree. Right? Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. I want to know at, like, what point was she like, Fuck this it. is a scam. Let's just keep, yeah. And also, what did everybody else think? Because, like, if you see the pictures, there's, like, machines and, like, they had to, like, they had machines. I, mean, I, yeah. I want to know, like, I, right, but, like, so what do you do? Do you, like, call the people who make machines and you're like, Hey, make us a machine that looks like it does something with a drop of blood. Like, how do you? It's a me, a how, What level were people like? Right? When did right. that? When did it? When did the wheels come off? I really want to understand. And like, what happened to like? Is the janitor like cleaning up at night? Like that? That machine? That just, <laughs> like, who know what? I'm just fascinated because of all the people involved who like kept it afloat. That's I again. I think like you go, girl. Right. Feminism. Yeah, and on the Just on the fem, on the but on the feminism note, <laughs> I do want to say that like what's really frustrating is that you know she is one of the she's such a big you know um, this has such been such a big media affair and she's like one of the few people who's been taken down by this kind of like malfeasance and she is a woman. It's like the one time a woman raises a shit ton of money not that other women haven't raised a shit ton of money they have but like not as many not as many women have raised that that those kinds of funds have gotten this kind of media attention and the one time one woman is able to do it it's like turns out to be shit and garbage i mean what are the fucking odds uh it's just it's really frustrating um and then the other here's another fun thing about the uh the defense that they used one of the defenses Mm. they used in the court trial was that the investors did so little due diligence that at some level they must have wanted to be defrauded. So, <laughs> Sally, when you're thinking about all those people looking at those machines being like, oh, so do they work or whatever? It's like in Elizabeth Theranos' mind, uh, she, <laughs> she was like, oh, they want to be defrauded. So maybe that was the moment. The moment it wasn't like, I'm scamming them. It's that they want to be scammed. Um, yeah. And then the L- other... Literally, uh, that's like all my friends on Tinder. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like he could totally be rich and six foot four and like in such great shit. And like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive any deeper. I'm just going to believe that. Like, uh, you want to believe the lie? And I'm sure there's some of that. I'm sure there is actually some of that. And then here's another frustrating thing. um, Or maybe this is another win for feminism, which is that one of the things that, um, she one of the charges that she was convicted of was defrauding specifically the Betsy DeVos family of a hundred million dollars. So it. oh my God, a Betsy DeVos wins. I mean, that's one of the things that frustrates me about this trial is that it's like, did Americans win? Not really. Did Betsy DeVos win? Yes. Did Betsy DeVos need to win anything else? No, like she didn't even miss a hundred million. Like someone had to like tap her on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, you lost a hundred million." You know what I mean? Oh, I mm-hmm. didn't notice. You know what I mean? I thought it it's was like, in my other yacht. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the fucking really. Yeah. Um, when do we get to sue Betsy DeVos for like defrauding the American people that she was qualified to be Secretary oh, of Education and systematically chip away at public education and advancing of her agenda of privatization? That's, that's can what we I, have that right. lawsuit, please. Now? And can it be a glitzy um, affair that the media covers breathlessly the way they did this, um, you know, Theranos trial? Um, I, I also want to, um, uh, right, because here's one thing she was not convicted of, spe- speaking about what the American people deserve and don't deserve, is that she wasn't convicted of giving patients fraudulent blood tests um, because it's hard to quantify how, ba- what, what, how bad that is. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it is one of the... It, so, okay, but here's the thing I want to talk about before we run out of time. So the writer, um, I think his name is Matt Levine um, at Bloomberg, he sort of made the case 
the the big problem, forgetting about this trial, that this trial doesn't fix at all, is that there's so much money sloshing around Silicon Valley that actually nobody does due diligence on anything. Um, the syst- it, it, the problem is just there's literally too much money. Uh, so what did you think of, of, of Matt Levine making that case? I think if there's too much money, then there's like pl- there's other places in the country where they could put that if they don't know what to do with it is a thought that <laughs> I've been know. having. But I mean, I think that makes total sense. And I think, I mean, speaking of the defense of like these investors wanted to be conned subconsciously or whatever, I don't think that's true. But I do think that there's this sort of, you know, I'm sure people in other countries are the same, but Americans, almost as a national trait, love fabulists. We love con men. We love confidence, which is where that term comes from. We love putting our confidence in people. And I think for the same reason that the story is so satisfying, which is that there was so much breathless cover of Elizabeth Holmes when there was really no reason for the media also to be so excited about her. And this is you know, a commentary as well on how the idea of the young prodigy who just somehow knows how to do this impossible thing is a great story. And journalists will try to cover that and not want it to be untrue. I think we also want to believe that somebody can spin straw into gold. And this is this this agreement that we are, are willing to believe because like maybe once in a hundred times it works for some people for a little while. Um, final like, thoughts we, on this, Sally, as we uh, round out this segment. Oh, I think that's brilliant. And I think it's it's true. And it's also like the media's mea culpa of like, we hmm. fell into the trap. So now we have to cover it breathlessly because we covered her so breathlessly. Right. Um, but, you know, this this I'm glad you picked up on that again, because that piece about like, there's so much money sloshing around Silicon Valley. The people are like throwing it at, you know, <laughs> anybody with any idea. And yet there's not enough money to... I don't know, recoup the people who got, you know, the patients who got faulty information or God forbid, actually pay for, pay higher taxes and pay for a functional a public health system yes. or, you know, universal health care so that people don't need to go to Silicon Valley to get basic health information. It's like on the one, you know, it's, it's the inequality, the sort of extremities of this and what this story has underneath it that we're not talking about is is just um it really speaks volumes about where we are as a country yeah uh well folks let me know what did you think um of the verdict what did you think of this whole affair um are you a multi-million dollar investor who has money (laughs) to put into my next project you let me know um we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about uh other things Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Ugh, folks. I mean, first of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions, and it monitors your spending, and it helps you lower your bills. But that's headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way, but you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. Lord, my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. 
I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back and let's get into topic number two. So Clay Aiken is running for Congress in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina as a Democrat. And uh, why is that name so familiar? Because he was the season two runner-up on American Idol. Um, He also ran for office in 2014 but lost, something I hadn't realized. Uh, It's funny because there's – I saw this trending on Twitter that he's throwing his hat into the race. Um, And a few minutes later, a Fake the Nation listener was like, oh, my gosh, you have to talk about this on the show. And that was immediately what I had thought. I was like, oh, we should talk about this on the show. There's so many weird people in uh, the races. And I also – as I mentioned at the end of 2021, want to gently enter into this midterm era. But I want to do it with a bit of optimism and fun, and I don't want to get bogged down in the muck. Uh, so, so, folks, what do you think of, um, and by folks, I mean the two of you. <laughs> folks seems I should be speaking to like six or more people, and I understand that, so that's weird. Um, but folks, what do the two of you think of uh, Clay Aiken joining the race? <laughs> of all the celebrities that have gotten in politics recently, he's has to be my favorite. I can't think of anyone who seems less loathsome. So like Clay Aiken for president. <laughs> so so I carry some bias here. Clay is a friend. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, look, I mean, there's... So what do I really think? I mean, of course, what I think depends on which side is the celebrity on and do I agree with someone. Right, right, right. right. Know, there's a, to me, there's a universe of difference between, say, Clay and a Dr. Oz who's running sure. for Senate in my home state of Pennsylvania. And what, what, what is think? that? What is that universe of difference, if you don't mind highlighting? Oh, I mean, it's it's ideal universe of ideological oh, difference, sure. mm-hmm. uh, right? Like you know, Dr. Oz sort of running on a kind of conservative, anti-government, um, anti-tax, sort of neo right wing, dancing with the Trump universe platform versus Clay, who is running to restore the role of North Carolina as a beacon of liberalism and progressivism in the South, which historically it had been. It was a really important place for social and cultural progress in the South and a sort of leading uh, uh, voice for that, but has obviously in in the recent years taken steps backward. Um, You know, sort of writ large, I think there's this like interesting thing that's happening of and this isn't new. Obviously, there was Reagan. There have been celebrities. There's Trump. There have been celebrities who've run for office before. But, it, it, you know, this sort of way in which um, politics, in those of us in the media, myself included, have started to talk about politics as though it is only the horse race. It is only the... Yeah. Like, you know, we, we, we don't talk about the policies. We don't no. talk about what they want to do. We don't... It, it's... There's a way in which it's it's the celebritification of politics. And that was kind of always the case, but it's been increasingly the case, right? We, the fo- increasing focus on polls, um, the increasing focus on tweets as opposed to substance, all of that. And so it feels somehow perfect that this cycle, perhaps more than others, will have more and more celebrities getting into it. Not necessarily because those celebrities are substance void, but because our politics has become so substance void kind of writ large um it's a it's a it's it's all coming full circle um i yeah i think it's absolutely true there were there's so much horse racy discussions and and that's part of the reason i want 
are dabbling in the 2022 midterms um, on this show to be the kind, have the cadence it's supposed to have. It's not, it's not supposed to be, this is everything all the time, you know? Uh, that said, we obviously have to fight really hard, you know what I mean? And we have, and, and uh, if you're me and you're a Democrat and you want Democrats to win, you have to fight even harder because, you know, there's some structural, um, there's some structural disadvantages to being a Democrat that we have to overcome. So that totally sucks. Uh, so I'm not trying to downplay any of those things, but I think you're absolutely right. We need to cover more of the stuff that's actually happening. And politics isn't just horse race. Horse race is what should actually just get you to the meat. The meat is the stuff of governance, right? And so, uh, yeah, I find that very frustrating. And and I want to say, um, Sarah, I don't know what you thought not loathsome about Clay Aiken. <laughs> uh, I read an interview he did with Variety, but I wanted to say what I thought not loathsome about about him um and you know to be perfectly honest he seemed like a congenial fellow like I don't know him right Sally you know but whatever he seems like a congenial fellow um but what I thought it there was a um the the point about North Carolina being once a beacon of progressives in the south he made that point of like I'm a gay man in North Carolina I have friends who don't even want to visit North Carolina because of the press we've gotten about being you know, transphobic and homophobic and all this stuff. And it's just not who we are. And I'm here to help North Carolina, like, b- come back from all of that, from that terrible negative press. And also, let's save the environment and, like, three other things. Uh, so I thought, you know what I mean? So it's just like, you know what? Reasonable. Um, apparently, it's a crowded race. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do want to turn our attention to J.D. Vance <laughs> running in Ohio, uh, J.D. Vance is running um, for Senate. He's a Republican. He was once, um, I don't know if he was specifically a never Trumper, but he did call Trump an idiot, I think, multiple times. Uh, so he wasn't a fan. Uh, Sarah, what do you think of J.D. Vance in the race? I mean, I feel as if I never quite got a handle on what J.D. Vance was initially selling I understand from seeing the discussion of it over time and, you know, watching people comment on this, that he appears to have changed his views um, because he noticed that there were maybe, you know, was power for the taking if you said the right things appears to be part of what's going on. But I, I, so, you know, he's Mr. Hillbilly Elegy. That book came out around the time Trump was campaigning. And I remember liberals trying to describe the appeal of Trump referencing that a lot and i honestly it's kind of it's like it takes a lot of effort for me to read an entire book honestly like as essentially a professional researcher it's funny to me that that's the situation but i never read it because (laughs) i was like everyone's talking about this all of my friends hate it and think it's horrible i don't want to give this like honestly the impressive amount of time that it would take to get through it but i feel as if I'm I'm curious from both of you about your takes on his initial rise to fame, but it seems like he basically got within grabbing distance of power through a, a kind of populism, and then he has evolved that populism to better fit the time. But then also, next to that populism is he's a VC? You know what I mean? <laughs> What's so, more populist than that? So you right? know, however, you know, you know how regular, like Joe, regular Joes are also venture capitalists. Oh yeah, uh, like we all Sally, what's, what's, what's your take on JD Vance? Well, yeah, populist. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's populism is a rhetoric more than it is a person, right? Um, but you know, it's about this sort of uh, oh, the elites on the coast that don't understand you, that don't understand people like you. And often the, you know, it seems paradoxical, but often the the kind of avatar or the, um, I don't know, um, the person who uh, pedals the boat from point A to P, point B has to have some claim of like, I understand those people and can help you take them down. That's why you end up with Trump in his gold toilets being a, you know, so-called populist. Um, you know, <laughs> so... Uh, J.D. I know uh, less well, but I will say when he came on the scene, you know, my I've, I've read Hello, Bullyology. Um, it is uh, not the best book of its genre. For that, I recommend uh, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. But at any rate, um, <laughs> which is an excellent book for those who have not read it. Nice. Hello, Elegy 
is, um, you know, it, it, it's a particular kind of book that speaks to a particular way that people, that a, a particular group of people want to understand hardship and suffering in this country. By which I mean, there is a narrative that for a long time, you know, once upon a time we had a sort of structural understanding of poverty in this country when we understood most poor people to be white. When in the 60s we changed our, uh, you know, the rules of the game in this country to increasingly... Uh, bring formal legal opportunity to uh, communities of color, especially black people, we started to see the media and conservatives represent um, more and more poor people to be black, even though proportionally, statistically, overwhelmingly, the majority of poor people still are white. And the rather than say, like, because it became, of course, not popular or culturally uh, acceptable to say, oh, well, those black people who are now representing as the poor... Um, as the stand-in for the poor. I mean, there's documentation on this, right? When you look at sort of media imagery mm -hmm, of who mm -hmm. the poor yeah. are in this country, once upon it was white, and then it shifts in the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s yeah. to being increasingly black. Couldn't say, like, well, that's just because of who they are. That's because of right. And certainly couldn't say, if you're a conservative or sort of center-right, well, that's because of structural poverty or greed or capitalism or anything like that. And so the explanation became culture. The explanation became, like, well, that's just their culture. They haven't been raised right or they're not taught this and where jd vance steps into in a moment where that's breaking down right this is like at a moment where finally as a country everyone's starting to realize like oh wait a second maybe there is structural racism like a wider universe of people are thinking and talking about that jd vance steps in with this narrative of well actually that's also why white people in appalachia are poor it's not the fact that say you know over 60% of West Virginia or something like that is actually owned by outside corporations. It's not about coal and the, the sort of pillaging of the economy and the Appalachian effect. No, 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 it's culture. And that both, it, 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 it worked so well in sort of juicing this story about the haves and the have-nots that isn't about some... Uh, failing of our country and certainly some greed or neglect on the part of the haves, but this sort of shortcoming on the part of the have-nots. Um, and that being said, he actually once, I think, was a vaguely principled conservative, and it's the other story of J.D. Vance is how he, like many, 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 many others uh, on his side of the aisle, you know, fell in lockstep with Trump. And I think it is, there's another part to it that is an interesting commentary if you just can't you can't run as a Republican now if you don't kiss the shoes uh, or the ring or whatever that metaphor is. Shoe, uh, yeah, I believe it's a ring, but a <laughs> kissing kiss shoes, shoes is also a yeah, nice that image. That didn't nice seem image. right when it came out my, my <laughs> K-call. I mean, I so so one thing that people are saying about J.D. Vance, and I should also note Dr. Oz is also one of these people who's writing who I think is uh, on the scale of, you know, uh, Dr. Oz to Clay Aiken. I, I feel <laughs> like we all know where we are, but um, do, but there's something, and, and Dr. Oz may also take this um, route, is this sort of nat, what are they calling it? They're calling it NatCon or something, a national conservative route where you change your tune about Trump, whatever your view was about Trump, you're sort of like, no, Trump is awesome and I was wrong or whatever. Trump endorses you. This, this, this is the Glenn Youngkin playbook, right? Mm -hmm. Who won in Virginia. Um, the NatCon playbook is basically to um, to appease Trump, but not talk about it too much, right? Like not talk about Trump too much is sort of like pivot away. I don't know if you ever saw Glenn Young can handle questions about Trump, but he they would be like, you know, uh, you got the endorsement of Trump. What do you think? And he'll be like, what I think is important is that I got the endorsement of the people of Virginia, right? Like he'll just pivot <laughs> away and just sort of ignore that he has this endorsement. And that is sort of a, a, a strategy. Um, is that The interesting thing to me is like, <laughs> Everyone sees through that strategy, right? Like you probably JD Vance, by the way, another way he's a populist is he went to Yale Law School. Um, so and I just want to say Jimmy Carter actually did have a peanut farm. When we talk about populism, I feel like the thing you did in life is an indicator. 
I don't know. Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Pointed. No, I, I I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm wrong I about know. that. Peanuts um, are a folksy food. There's no debate in that. Peanuts are a folksy food. High in protein. Um, I mean, but this kind of goes back to your Elizabeth Theranos thing. Yeah. Because that's the name now. <laughs> it's like, how much do people believe their own rhetoric? And, mm. I, and you know, it's an yeah. interesting question, right? One of my mentors in political theory um, always talked about sort of separating the leaders from the followers. Right? So... You know, you can't, when those of us who talk about like narrative and rhetoric and media and we say, oh, these things are poisonous and the way we're doing this is bad and it's right. Well, then it's having those effects on people. You know, it's too much to expect people who are working two, three jobs and now, you know, worried about the pandemic and their, you know, kids and to, and their healthcare and whatever to like sort through all of this. The question is like, do, do, how does J.D. Grant sleep at night? Like, does he know what he's doing? Does he know the line he's walking? Does he know that he is appeasing uh, someone who is more than dipping his toes in authoritarianism in, in terms of Trump and the, the sort of dismantling of our democratic systems and structures and norms such as they are? Like, he... You would think. Right. And then, of course, to run as a conservative and be like, conservatives run on values. Like, what values? Right. And, and and the thing is, it's like you watch an episode of Veep where you see in real time a lobbyist being like, no, you have to be pro plastic or whatever. And then they walk around being like using a plastic fork or whatever as some sort of symbol. You see how it is that the political class can then drink whatever Kool-Aid they need in the moment to do whatever they need to do. Um and I get that. Like, I've I've done or said a couple of things that I'm like, but okay. You know, just in my dumb life that has no, you know, national consequence. Um, and I would I, like to argue that your dumb life has national consequences. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I would like to maintain that it continues to be dumb regardless. Uh, but I, I think there's, you can see how that people can make those those um deals with the devil my mini, min, little mini deals with the devil all the time uh and then the question is will they then take that deal will they then take that deal and walk into the job on day one and be like all right i actually do fucking hate trump and i do just believe in lowering the tax code and that's my main thing so i'm gonna work on that but i don't need to like destroy everybody's human rights like is that may actually what you're gonna do you know what it and it is it's like that's the big question that continues is what is the actual policy platform of the republican party uh i don't i continue not to understand and i just as we close out the segment here uh again Dr. Oz, for those of you who may not know, <laughs> is running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Pat Toomey is retiring, so that left an uh, uh, an opportunity for people to join. Par- this dude named uh, Sean Parnell joined the race. He got Trump's endorsement, but then a whole bunch of shit came out about him being um, possibly uh, – uh, abusive um, towards his wife and children. So then that made him a very bad uh, candidate. And so now it's unclear where his race stands. Uh, so that's when us really saw an opening. He was actually living in New Jersey, uh, but relocated to the Philly suburbs to be able to run. I, it, it's a little, what is that? You know what I mean? Anyways. Uh, I guess they have Wawa's in both places. So it's not, it's not like you moved from <laughs> Wyoming. But yeah. that's how they're redrawing district Sneaky. maps. Actually, I heard yeah. is based on Wawa's uh, and their and then their Waffle location. Houses eventually. Like a, <laughs> True. If we really want to go Pennsylvania deep here, it's like a Wawa's Sheets map. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, 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 I got well, that's, good that's, news is that's like a is step a lot of great more about Pennsylvania running? that I had no that I don't I understand. All right. Okay, well, we let's get into that in another segment, folks. Um, <laughs> before we wrap up the segment number two here, uh, I would like to invite you, as I did in 2020, to hit me up with interesting races in your state. Um, I want to, uh, you know, help amplify some names that people should be looking up, looking into people who you think are deserving. Um, you know, I obviously am not endorsing a whole shit ton of people that I don't know, but I am interested in looking at people that I've never heard of um, and helping other people people find those candidates in their own town and let's again like I've said a million times before these local local races really 
really, really matter. So much policy gets determined at that very local level and you can have an impact. Don't let these like nationalized races take up so much of your energy. They don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. All right. Let us move into, thank you, Sally, give me a thumbs up. Let us move into topic number three. Okay, so we're going to do a little grab bag of items here. Item number one, Biden just announced that private insurance will, insurers will soon have to cover the cost of eight at-home coronavirus tests per member per month. Sarah, what do you think? I'm so happy that my long-running scam to become financially <laughs> secure enough to get insurance sit through an epidemic, excuse me, a pandemic for two years and get eight free COVID tests has finally worked out. (laughs) It was a long game, but I got here. (laughs) Delivered with perfect, perfect dry humor. I've been sitting here the last half an hour thinking about how much I wish I could take a satire class. So I'm an amateur student at least. Look, I, I got, wish like, I could I'm take gonna, her I'm satire class. Off my, I've got one mangled COVID oh, test. This is a brag. Yeah, this is an angled test kit brag. I no, I'm showing my my uh, that I'm not even sure worked, and I I ripped it out of the hand <laughs> of a child. Yeah, of a child. <laughs> um, of Tiny Tim uh, himself. You know, so I'm like, yeah. What COVID tests? Like, you know, right? So there's not, a supply I, and demand issue for sure, and and that's something I, the administration is also. I finally understand at. supply and demand now because I <laughs> I am demanding them, and there is no supply. I went through all those economic classes, didn't fucking understand it. Now I fucking get it. Give me my test so that I can test myself for the Omicron that apparently they're only 60% accurate about anyway, Mm. so that I can still, even after it says it's negative, be like, I don't fucking believe it. Let me use another one. So I'm using (laughs) two tests. Not that mathematically I know that doesn't mean that they're then 120% reliable. I don't, I'm not, I, you know, I feel really badly about the CDC bashing and stuff. I really do as like a big government fan and i mean that in both senses of the word like i'm mm. a big fan of government and i'm a fan of big government mm. and <laughs> I'm like it's like we're in year three it's the mm-hmm. fucking wild west out here this for in, little in liars, late march will be in year three give us a minute sorry okay, well, okay, that, but you know what i, I mean. was saying if this were pretty little liars we would have a new a by now like the plot would have advanced that far um <laughs> It's, I mean, (laughs) this, it's, I actually feel, this is weird, but I had like very positive attachments to the CDC before this because I was one of those little girls who grew up watching Outbreak. Um, And this has been like, I don't know, I kind of, I, they had never been called on to deal with anything of this scale. And I, it is weird to recognize your isolated areas of, higher hopes than can be met in the U.S. government. And I definitely had that. Well, look, I mean, they I, I, did I, great with Ebola. And with the super Ebola that Dustin Hoffman had to deal with. Here's the thing. Here's a little bit, I think, of what's going on just temperamentally with we, the people of the United States. We have gotten so used to everything being immediate and everything being convenient mm. and everything just well, happening hurry up at and exactly... finish your point what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> and because we've gotten so used to that we are not used to the idea that science takes a little more time and we're mad when the cdc makes a pronouncement and then we're mad that five days later they have a little bit more information and they uh, adjust that pronouncement and then we're mad that two weeks after that there's a little bit more information it's like i think i am i'm not trying to be like the you know you know what you sound like science takes time you sound like elizabeth theranos's defense attorney (laughs) (laughs) no it's not it's just that like this is a moving target and we're using it for globally everyone hates their health department around the globe you know what i mean you hey americans you're not alone in hating your fucking your cdc Mm -hmm. the equivalent is hated globally because everybody's just like why don't you know already and why didn't you presume why didn't you plan for these tests and why do you i mean okay we should have planned for the test the epidemiologists (laughs) were talking about the test a long time so this was we should have planned but you know it we didn't know about specifically omicron surge i mean there's so many things no, right. that supply and demand 
can't you can't it's very hard to predict um i also want to point out just again uh because i want people to have like a brighter notion of their government the administration has also announced plans to make tens of millions of free tests available for uninsured Americans at health clinics and other sites in underserved communities. And it's also recently opened federally run test sites in hard hit regions. So they're also not deaf to the fact that a lot of Americans don't have health insurance. Can mm-hmm. I just say before I come Please. across as to- I mean, like what's true is, you know, look, I mean, I'm, I'm being glib and whatever, but honestly, uh, you know, our current government uh, under President Joe Biden uh, had so much ground to catch up for. And, yeah. you know, it, 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 it and, and truly and I mean, in all honesty, like I find myself coming to almost on a daily basis in this contradiction of like, you know, what's true, man? When I wanted my vaccine, I was able to get my vaccine. When I wanted my second shot, I could get it. When I wanted my booster, I could get it. I, you know, I have uh, an at-home COVID test. Like I can go get my PCR test. And, you know, people I know in Africa and parts of yeah, Southeast Asia and Latin America, they ain't got nothing. And you know what? I am lucky enough that I have health insurance, even though I can pay through the arm for it. And, like, it is a real contradiction where on the one hand you're like, I expect everything in this country to work so perfectly. And we're mm-hmm. watching, I think, a, you know, <laughs> we're in a time where a lot is breaking yeah. in our country yeah. right now. And yet a lot still works. And we have a lot to be thankful for. And mm-hmm. right. And I think I have like a little bit of an easier time constantly remembering that because I have so much family in Iran and I know that they don't have the shit that I have. They mm-hmm. truly don't. People are getting uh, COVID left and right. They they can't contain it in any way. The, the vaccine, the, the effective vaccines aren't as, as readily available. They have some stuff from China that's just like not as good. Anyway, there's all sorts of stuff going on in places like Iran. Uh, so I guess my the moral of the story is read newspapers from um, like countries that have it worse off or something just so you get a hit of like how good you have it. Okay, let's move on. And also, I don't, don't at me. I'm also reasonable. I understand that we should be doing better and that we should strive for perfection and we, sh- we definitely, definitely should and I'm a, I'm a fan of that. So don't, I'm not crazy, just so listeners The game right. contains multitudes, people. Okay. Multitudes. <laughs> so let's move on. The Golden Globes happened, kind of. They were, um, they went from being like a boozy, glitzy affair with a ton of A-list celebrities to being live tweeted on Sunday in a room with a handful of people. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Did, where where was the Golden Globes for you, Sarah? Did it matter? Did you look at the the tweets? Uh, where are you at with this? I mean, do you have a mental image of that infamous photo of Dashcon with like the the ball pit that people could? It was like this teeny tiny kiddie pool filled with like those plastic balls from a McDonald's play place, and then Dashcon was just you know one of the many disastrous conventions that was not to be in the last 10 years where it was supposed to be the Tumblr convention and nobody knew how to plan a convention and so they guess ended up with this it's like the ball pit of Dashcon is like that picture of the American cheese on bread from Firefest they're like the the (laughs) stand-ins for for the great disappointment so I guess when I think of the Golden Globes I think of that ball pit at Dashcon Um, (laughs) I googled it (laughs) <laughs> it's really it's got a lot of pathos right yeah i mean do you think that they should uh keep working at this level until they sort of sort out their shit and are allowed to come back into kind of mainstream relevance or no is this really it's just over I mean, I mean it's well here's what i'm curious about what both of you think about this because i've always thought of the golden globes as like the thing that happens to remind you that the Oscars are coming. (laughs) And (laughs) I've never watched the Golden Globes. I'm like mildly interested in who wins a Golden Globe because it feels like a way to predict what's going to maybe happen at the Oscars. But I've always thought of it as like an opening tremor of award season. And I have no idea how seriously other people take it. I do think that like, I didn't know until a couple of years ago that at least the Academy that votes on the Academy Awards, like they don't have to watch all the movies. I always assumed that they were just watching movies all the time, but they they can just do whatever they want. So I think like maybe it's becoming clear that just the way all movie awards to say nothing of other aspects of entertainment are 
decided on is like very flaky and idiosyncratic and seems like it needs just a, an overhaul across the board. Sally? Sorry, I'm, I'm reading about Dashcon. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Enjoy it later <laughs> on. You'll have a great time. No, uh, you know what I, I, I well, yeah, there's a lot to be said here. What I, I dig, I think, is that I think I think I think this, and I think it'll hold up. You know, the we should bear in mind that the Golden Globes still happen; they just weren't broadcast. So of course, right. there's this interesting kind of meta thing about like, well, but if it isn't on television, did it even happen? And then, of course, the celebrities, some most of them didn't like boast that they won it because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association become taboo because they had. Uh, what is it like 50 something right. voting members none of whom were black mm-hmm. and among other things NBC last May it wasn't recent like last May they were like screw it we're not broadcasting this and hmm. you know what I like about that is there is some like accountability and consequence right so it wasn't just this sort of performative thing yeah. where you know celebrities kind of got up and like took their award and were like by the way I'm really outraged and like, <laughs> took their award and went home. right right but there was actually like some yeah, and this is like, what consequence looks like, I, right? And yet, it wasn't like consequences and like let's do away with them, let's not give them another chance, right? Like they are inducting new members, they are trying to improve and do better. I think they should be able to do that. So it feels sort of there's actually, and in a way, what's sad, I don't know if sad's the right word, but there's something about like because it wasn't broadcast, we don't get to actually talk about that. Like we don't talk about the. But like, so it's good. It's like a step. And to Hmm. your point, change is never fast and it shouldn't happen fast because if it's fast, it's usually sloppy. So Hmm. maybe by next year, we'll turn on the Golden Globes and it'll feel materially and meaningfully different and better. And that will be a little tiny victory in our universe. Um, So maybe this was a little stepping stone toward that, or at least I hope it was. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that assessment. And I also, you know, some of the people who did talk about um, they're like they 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 had tweeted the awards and some some of the I think maybe it was the supporting actor award um, for that was won by the West Side Story yeah. supporting actress I can't remember her name um, she said something like you know there's been problems with the Golden Globes and I recognize that um, also it's been really really hard for me to get to this point and and, and I'm grateful for any moment of recognition so thank you it was like. To me, a beautiful way of being like, yeah, these awards are problematic, but as me as a human being, like it was, it's been tough and thank you. Like I was, you know, cause Hey, as I said before, I'll fucking take a golden globe. You know what I mean? If one were ever to be uh, hurled in my direction. Um, (laughs) You're all like, I'll take a, uh, uh, a racist golden globe. I'll take a post-racial, post-racist golden globe. Oh, I need a golden globe. And then I'll, you know, Rachel Zegler, by the way, Rachel Zegler. Rachel, Ze- Rachel Zegler. Yeah. Uh, so phenomenal. I mean, in the, again, I saw West Side Story in the movies. I also just saw um, Licorice Pizza at the cinema. And again, I can't stop having really wonderful uh, movie going experiences with my N95 mask on. Okay. Really fun. No, but still like, I, there's nothing that's, it's like fucking meditation for me. Like I, nothing turn, mm. turns my brain off, like being in the movie theaters. It's just, it's just magical. Okay, to close out this segment, I just wanted to point out, a few people have died, and it's so sad, uh, like Bob Saget, Betty White, Sidney Poitier. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about them. I just want to say uh, quickly um, about Bob Saget, like, he's just someone I grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, on TV. He was just on TV. Um, and then uh, I had heard, I remember at some point, that, oh, Bob Saget's, like, really dirty, you know? I probably heard that in high school or something. And it's like, oh, is he really? Oh, my gosh, that's crazy, you know? Um, and then as a comedian, I was performing at the um, at the Chicago Ideas Fest, which was really wonderful. And I was with the comedian Phoebe Robinson, and, um, and we were sort of doing, a, like, an opening thing, and then Bob Saget was headlining – like a like a Q&A type thing whatever it was and um and he was so lovely and everyone says this about him like he was really really lovely and then also he like complimented me and my comedy on stage you know in front of hundreds of people I mean it was like so which which when you're me a comedian from a legend like Bob Saget is just like you live on that forever a compliment like that and so um and it's you know it pops into my head probably like 
couple times you're like, oh, remember when Bob Saget complimented me on a stage in front of lots of people? Like, I uh, was just so um, floored by what a lovely man he was. And it's like, you don't often get to meet the people that you've, you know, grown up with uh, on TV. And I did. And I was, uh, yeah. So just to hear that he passed mm. was so, so sad for me. Um, but do you guys have any anyone you want to shout out? I mean, I feel a little bad about the fact that to me, it's all about Bob Saget as well, because I feel like, you know, I know Betty White's work. I know Sidney Poitier's work, I think. and then, But then there's also the feeling there's a, there's sadness in their deaths for me, but also the feeling of like, wow, like imagine living into your mid or late 90s and yeah. creating yeah. so much it's more celebrate there's more something to celebrate right yeah and with and also you know Betty White was not like the age of a young fun dad when I was a little kid and I actually the first thing I wanted to do when I heard that Bob Saget had died was to watch some America's Funniest Home videos because I think I saw Full House when I was older and feel very fondly towards him because of that but like I loved America's Funniest Home videos when I was like in first second grade and the fact that he's the host of that the like dad of that show and was doing full house i love that he was dominating as a tv dad on multiple platforms um wasn't so common at the time and yeah there's just um to me there was always something about his presence that was really lovely and i think that he was a tv dad like he helped raise a lot of us yeah yeah sally I don't mean to get all like shallow, um, <laughs> but the ones that hit me hardest in the last whatever we're talking about month or so yeah. um, were uh, Joan Didion, yeah. And oh yeah, Bell Hooks, yep, yeah, and then very recently Lonnie Guineer, um, pioneering civil rights attorney, uh, law professor, big brain thinker on voting rights and voting justice in our country. You know, for me, three of my intellectual heroes um, whose ideas, whose writing, whose whose voices were just so foundational to, I don't know, trying to make our country a better country. And, and mm-hmm. for me as a person, as a young person, especially encountering their work and thinking, trying making me a better thinker, more complex thinker, writer, person. Um uh, you know, the, the Joan Didion and, and Bell Hooks in particular, you know, I think every writer, um, uh, you know, you have a, a, you have writers you read where you just kind of, they're, they're both the, their ability to convey the ideas and the comp- simultaneous complexity and simplicity of the ideas and the beauty of their writing can just ache um, because you know you'll never be that good. Uh, and for me... Joan Didion and Bell Hooks um, both were in that sort of pantheon, personally, where I would just kind of read them and just, right, you know, it's, there's a certain kind of, like, yearning and beauty of just, like, God, that's good. That's it. That's what we should all try to yeah, do. Yeah, and do. I can I say about yeah. Bell Hooks, too, I'm so glad you brought her up. Um, I, you know, I in, I have a master's degree in African-American studies, and so I was lucky enough to, to be in a... A uh, small, you know, graduate seminar with Bell Hook. You know, the teacher was Manning Marable, um, also a, a great in the field. Uh, and it was like Manning Marable and Bell Hooks in a room with like 10 of us. And it's just, again, talk about meeting Shut heroes. the front door. <laughs> Manning Marable was my, was my um, thesis advisor. And and I, it, I, it was like, I was in a room with two of my heroes. Again, both of them living up to the hero- to the heroism that I bestowed upon them. You know what I mean? And so, again, read read Bell Hooks. Read Bell oh, Hooks. Everyone read Bell Hooks. All right, folks. Yeah. Um, wow. Oh, my gosh. Nagin, you just got so much cooler in my book. Oh, my God. <laughs> you were already it's pretty like, cool. I live for that. All right. That's, let us move yeah. on. Folks, let me know. Let me know um, who, who's, who's meant. Uh, we just lost a lot of people in the last, I don't know, couple of months. It's been really crazy. So I wanted to. Desmond Tutu. We didn't even talk about fuck, Desmond didn't Tutu. Didn't even talk about Go Desmond on. Tutu. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've lost so many. It's just, it's just a really weird time. Uh, okay. That is the end of the show. Oh, my God. This was so much fun. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the show. But what I would really love is for all of the Fake the Nation listeners to be able to find you and all the wonderful stuff that you do. Sarah Marshall, where do they do that? 
Oh, you can find me on You're Wrong About. You can find me co-hosting my other podcast, You Are Good. You can find me on Twitter at remember underscore Sarah because I am driving that joke into the ground. And yeah, <laughs> I hope to see you out there. Uh, all right yeah. uh that's two new podcasts for you to subscribe to that you should go and do immediately sally Cohn, where do they find you um well you'll find me listening to sarah's podcasts doy um <laughs> and uh let's see i'm on all of the things except for the tiktok i haven't figured out the tiktok uh but instagram twitter facebook uh, at sally Cohn, k-o-h-n or sally com. Awesome, folks. That uh, is the end of our show, but I would love to thank the people who make it all happen. That's our wonderful producer, Danielle Jones-Wesley, our fantastic sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and Mike Coscarelli. And the theme music was written by Gabby Alter. As always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, I'm going to go back to reading some of the Apple Podcast reviews on the show, so make sure you review us. Thank you so much to everyone. It does. It really helps people find the show. You can email us at fakethenation at, at headgum.com. Uh, so we can get your ideas on segments, on uh, um, panelists, Ooh, places where I should be touring. A lot of you wrote in about that, so thank you so much. Join the Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash Farsad, and we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.